Okay, welcome back to Hellspan. This is part two of Drop Acid by Dr. David Perlmutter. In part one, I described what uric acid was and how it was associated with certain metabolic disorders like hypertension, diabetes, and NAFLD. And in part two, I'm going to be talking about how uric acid is associated with Alzheimer's disease and also talk about other instigators that elevate uric acid. So to begin, I'll be discussing uric acid in Alzheimer's disease. Consider, for example, a 2016 Japanese study of a group of elderly people whose uric acid levels were tested within the context of a risk for dementia. A high level of uric acid among the participants was associated with a fourfold increased risk of dementia diagnosis. The cause of dementia in Alzheimer's is still very controversial. Some people say it's a decreased amount of acetylcholine in the brain. Some people say it's the accumulation of beta amyloid and hyperphosphorylated tau. Some people say it's a decrease in the vascular supply. Some others are saying that it's sort of this neural inflammation going on. And some people are saying that Alzheimer's disease is really an insulin resistance in the brain. So this sort of type 3 diabetes that's going on in the brain. So where do fructose and uric acid come into the picture in terms of insulin resistance in the brain? First, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, fructose-induced insulin resistance keeps the body locked in a mode in which blood sugar remains dangerously high. In the brain, insulin resistance prevents brain cells from receiving the energy they need. Insulin is a powerful trophic hormone, meaning that it nurtures neurons and is fundamental for brain energetics. Brain energetics refers to the system by which energy flows in the brain in order to take care of the brain cells and meet their high metabolic demand for oxygen, fuel, and support. Rob the brain of the vital caregiver, and they suffer. If not worse, then they're, they're going to die. Secondly, the way the body metabolizes fructose leads to more uric acid production and depletes ATP, our energy production, which further sparks inflammation and can reach the brain and cause neuroinflammation. Thirdly, recall that in addition to depleting energy, fructose metabolism leads to reduced production of nitric oxide, which you'll remember is a vital molecule for blood vessels, enabling them to function properly as well as transport insulin. By crippling nitric oxide activity, elevated uric acid consequentially increases the risk of atherosclerosis and vascular dementia, while elevating blood glucose and increasing insulin resistance at the same time. So we're seeing insulin resistance in the brain caused by this uric acid. This uric acid is depleting our ATP. It's inhibiting nitric oxide production. And it's sort of all tied together in terms of like why, why dementia and Alzheimer's may, de may be developing in the first place. Studies conducted on mice are showing just what fructose does in the brain. It reduces synaptic plasticity in the hippocampus. So translation, the cells in the brain's memory center are less able to make connections, an important part of the process of learning and memory formation. At the same time, there's also reduced growth of new brain cells. The good news is that these studies in which mice were fed a fructose diet for weeks and developed metabolic syndrome and showed cognitive decline, it was actually able to be reversed. They were, the researchers were able to partially reverse the animal's condition by changing their diet and removing the fructose. We also know that fructose compromises brain energetics in general, as I just mentioned, especially so 
where they want it the most, which is in the mitochondria of the hippocampus. Again, this area in the, in the brain, which is really needed for learning and memory. And this is an important finding for two reasons. First, neural resilience is necessary for the brain's longevity and is and it's also what's called this brain's like cognitive reserve it's able to really stave off decline and secondly keep in mind that the brain is most is the most energy demanding organ in the body it may only constitute about 2 to 5% of body weight but it really consumes up to 25% of the body's total energy at rest and again what is uric acid doing it's creating mitochondrial dysfunction and it's depleting our ATP production, which is so vital for our brains and for all our organs, for that matter. There's a UK UK study that he mentioned in the previous um, couple episodes. It highlighted fructose, fructoses and uric acid's joint co-conspiracing forces in brain decline. The title of this UK study really says it all. Increased fructose intake as a risk for factors as a risk factor for dementia. These scientists clearly showed that excess fructose consumption promotes the development of dementia. Rats receiving the sugar swiftly developed insulin resistance and cognitive impairment. They further articulated that fructose impairs the brain's processing, learning, and memory capabilities. And not surprisingly, they called out the role uric acid is playing. Elevated uric acid is associated with increased free radical formation as well as decreased nitric oxide synthesis, which compromises blood flow, including precious blood flow to the brain. Further, decreased vascular nitric oxide directly compromises the ability of insulin to process blood glucose. This is something I repeated multiple times. And finally, these researchers found that decreased nitric oxide synthase, the enzyme that is actually making nitric oxide in the brain, reduces synaptic neural transmission and memory formation. So this is decreased nitric oxide synthase, decreased synaptic neural transmission and and formation. So it's having direct compromising effects on the way one nerve is actually communicating with another nerve. To really grasp the contribution that uric acid makes to the development of cognitive decline, look no further than the effects that drugs to lower uric acid have on lowering the risk of dementia. In 2018, a, re- a retrospective study using Medicare claims data shown a light on the power of lowering uric acid to prevent dementia. When comparing two drugs for elevated uric acid and gout, allopurinol and febuxostat, scientists at the University of Alabama discovered that compared with a low allopurinol dose, a higher allopurinol dose and febuxostat were associated with a lower risk of a new diagnosis of dementia by more than 20%. So we're taking drugs like allopurinol and febuxostat to lower uric acid. And we're seeing that those who lowered their uric acid had a 20% decreased risk of developing dementia. So there's this correlation here. Just to quickly recap one more time what happens when we have elevated uric acid in our bodies and in our brains. Higher uric acid will decrease nitric oxide, causing a decreased blood flow in our brain. Higher uric acid levels will decrease synaptic transmission in our brain. It's going to decrease insulin sensitivity and promote insulin resistance. It's going to decrease the mitochondrial function and ATP production. And it's also increasing free radical formation in the brain. So all those things together are leading to 
the dementia Alzheimer's picture that we're seeing. And Dr. Perlmutter did a great job of describing how uric acid really is associated with potentially the development of Alzheimer's disease if you were to say that insulin resistance is one of the main causes of Alzheimer's disease. Moving on to the next section is all about how sleep, salt, psoriasis, seafood, and sitting all connect with uric acid. So certain instigators that may elevate uric acid. We didn't know about sleep's hidden connection to uric acid until more recently, although the anecdotal evidence had already been accumulating. People with gout tend to experience acute attacks at night during sleep, and the fact that uric acid levels peak early in the morning when heart attacks are more likely to strike further tells us something. Sleep and uric acid are an intricate con connection and relationship. So how are sleep and uric acid connect connected? A study conducted in 2019 reveals a strong inverse association between the duration of sleep and uric acid levels in the blood. Sufficient sleep quality equates with lower uric acid levels. Other studies have confirmed this, this correlation, including those that show the inverse association, low quality, short duration sleep correlates with a high uric acid levels. In people prone to gout, among the reasons for nighttime attacks are the physiological changes that take place during sleep that really help catalyze the formation of uric acid crystals in the joints. So what are some of the physiologic changes that occur at nighttime that allow gout flares to occur? This includes a drop in body temperature and a drop in cortisol level. So cortisol is this anti-inflammatory molecule whose production is, is decreased during sleep time. So there's less of it to help out with this gouty inflammation. Dehydration can also be a part of the problem as the body loses water during sleep through like breathing and sweating. Uric acid can become increasingly, increasingly concentrated in the blood. All in all, a good night's sleep helps keep uric acid levels in check. The better you sleep and the more careful you are about getting as many hours of sleep as the body needs, the better you can manage your uric acid levels. So we're seeing again this inverse correlation between sleep and uric acid. More sleep, less uric acid. And then it's also vice versa. Less sleep, higher uric acid levels. For now, let's move on to other instigators of elevated uric acid. And we're going to begin with salt. Salt can sprinkle on syndromes. In many parts of the world, including the U.S., people's salt intake is north of 10 grams per day, when it really should be a tiny fraction of that. It's also been documented in the scientific literature, literature that a high salt diet is associated with increased frequency of obesity, insulin resistance, NAFLD, and metabolic syndrome. Insulin resistance can be induced in humans in as little as five days by placing them on a very high salt diet. The exact mechanism of salt's actions on the body and its influence on metabolism have remained somewhat elusive until recently. As he mentioned earlier, we humans can make fructose through the conversion of glucose to fructose. So we use this enzyme called aldose reductase. This converts glucose to fructose. And researchers in this process using mice had explored the possibility that salt can activate this enzyme aldose reductase which then increases production of endogenous fructose. And what this research has found is that high salt diet 
induces metabolic syndrome in mice. However, mice that are deficient in fructokinase, which is the enzyme essential to fructose metabolism, which keeps uh, its finger on the button that generates uric acid, do not develop metabolic syndrome. So those with a fructokinase deficiency do not develop this metabolic syndrome. They also don't develop obesity either. This is suggesting that blocking fructose metabolism and uric acid production actually saves the mice from developing metabolic problems. So such a relationship not only so such a revelation shows not only that there is a relationship between salt, consu- salt consumption and fructose uh, formation, but also that the metabolism of fructose itself promotes the development of features of metabolic syndrome. In addition, these experiments have shown that in wild mice that are not deficient in fructokinase, a high salt diet is associated with a cluster of problems like leptin resistance, uncontrolled like excess of eating that leads to obesity. It's also leading to insulin resistance and fatty liver. So leptin resistance, insulin resistance, and fatty liver is all happening when these mice are having high amounts of fructose and then fructose is getting um, converted with fructokinase and we're seeing a whole host of metabolic problems. Note that we don't have enough solid research to suggest that salt stimulates fructose production in humans to a significant degree, but the evidence is really mounting. We do know that in rodents, fructose consumption stimulates the absorption of sodium, which then goes on to increase the metabolism of fructose by activating fructokinase. Dr. Perlmutter also wants to mention that dietary salt, kind of like uric acid, has been shown to compromise endothelial nitric oxide in lab animals. And again, I talked about this extensively. We know that nitric oxide plays a role in blood supply and vascular health, but it also is involved in preventing the formation of tau proteins. So remember I talked about how Alzheimer's disease is very controversial and we don't really know. One of the etiology of Alzheimer's disease is the accumulation of tau. And in 2019, Nature published a paper by a group at Whale Cornell Medicine's Field Family Brain and Mind Research Institute, whose title says it all, Dietary Salt Promotes Cognitive Impairment. In their paper, the author explained that the mechanism works via a busted nitric oxide pathway that permits the accumulation of those infamous tau clumps. So again, we're kind of bringing it back to Alzheimer's. Lower amounts of nitric oxide synthase, lower amounts of nitric oxide less nitric oxide, more accumulation of tau, leading down to potentially dementia, Alzheimer's. What are some drugs that may up your uric acid? So certain medications increase uric acid and your risk of gout and other metabolic diseases. And it's it occurs really, really through either a increase in the reabsorption of the uric acid, a decrease in the excretion of uric acid, or an increase in the production of purines, which then become degraded into more uric acid into the bloodstream. And he has a list of certain medications that are associated with high uric acid levels. For example, aspirin, uh, Topomax, uh, Berlinta, which is a blood thinner, Omeprazole, which is a PPI, or Prilosec, Cyclosporin, Filagrastim, Levodopa, L-Dopa, Theophylline, beta blockers. He has a list of drugs that all increase uric acid levels. Now, of course, talk to your doctor about uric acid and and these medications. 
just because these medications are associated with uric acid production doesn't mean you should stop them because sometimes the benefit of taking these medications is better than you know high amounts of uric acid so talk to your doctor about these medications there's other things as well besides these medications that are boosting uric acid for example xylitol xylitol it's marketed as this healthy alternative to regular and artificial sugars and many diabetics are told to use xylitol and you can find it in like baked goods and chewing gum and toothpaste but it's been long known to provoke an increase in uric acid by stimulating the breakdown of purines in the body. And I kind of discussed how certain things can either increase the breakdown of purines or decrease its excretion. So xylitol has been kind of shown to stimulate the breakdown of the purines. Remember that uric acid comes from purines. Alcohol, again, is probably one of the worst things you can take take in or consume for for increased uric acid so biochemically alcohol increases uric acid in three main ways so the first way it may it may be a source of purines which produce uric acid when broken down by the body it also causes the kidney to excrete alcohol instead of excreting uric acid so we're getting this accumulation in our kidneys and this this thereby leaves more uric acid for circulation and finally it increases the metabolism of nucleotides an additional source of purines that can be turned into uric acid. So alcohol, again, is one of the worst things you can do to raise your uric acid. And beer is actually worse than hard alcohol. The reason is because of the the brewer's yeast and the, the, the brewer's yeast that is used to make beer is in way higher concentrations of purines compared to um, like certain alcohol that is not beer, like liquor. And to move forward, there are certain foods as well that are associated with high purines and, and uric acid. And the most concentrated sources of purines are from animal products. So I mentioned this in part one. Red meats like beef, lamb, and pork. Organ meats like liver and kidney. Lentils, peas, beans, and many fruits and vegetables also contain purines. But here's the thing. Just because foods, foods are high in purines does not mean that they are going to raise uric acid levels. There are many nuances to cover in later episodes, but for now, just remember that red meats, organ meats, these fish, anchovies, and herrings, these are the highest kinds of meats that are going to be associated with high uric acid and high purines. Several large studies prove that there's no real relationship between vegetable consumption, even consumption of, like, vegetables that are high in purines and elevated uric acid. In fact, some purine-containing foods also include like like fiber and fibers, uh, like vitamin C, and they actually protect you from elevations in uric acid. To put this into perspective, let's consider a large review conducted in 2018 that evaluated 19 cross-sectional studies in order to determine the risk of gout relative to the consumption of various foods. So as I mentioned, seafood, red meat, fructose, alcohol, these are all going to raise your uric acid level and increase your chances of getting gout. Seafood by 31%, red meat 29%, fructose 114%, alcohol 158%. Now certain things can actually reduce your chances of getting this. So vegetables have a 14% reduction. 
caffeine has a 24% reduced reduction and dairy products have a 44% reduced reduction. And he kind of goes on to list other things like MSG and stuff that are high in purines. But for now, what I want to talk about is how certain health conditions are linked to elevated uric acid. You already know that metabolic disorders are specifically tied to elevated uric acid as I, as I explained in part one. The following are a few conditions to add to the list. So psoriasis. Psoriasis is this autoimmune inflammatory condition caused, causing not only terrible skin rashes and irritation, but also arthritis as well. In a large 2014 study that drew almost 99,000 participants from two large databases and encompassed 28,000 men and 71,000 women, the researchers found that men with psoriasis are twice as likely to develop gout as men without the condition. The women with psoriasis are 1.5 times more likely to develop a gout than women without the condition. And that men and women who have both psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis are five times more likely to, to develop gout than their healthy counterpart. So again, we're seeing this association between psoriasis, people who have psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis and their chances of developing gout. And again, the association is the uric acid. Renal insufficiency and chronic kidney disease should be very obvious. If your body cannot excrete uric acid, it's going to accumulate in the body. And this is becoming a huge problem, especially with diabetes. So the leading cause of end-stage renal disease is diabetes. When your kidneys aren't functioning, you can't excrete the uric acid and it's going to accumulate in the body. Hypothyroidism also implicated. So as he kind of mentioned earlier, the... Uric acid is correlated with both hypo and hyperthyroidism. And the reason is that if your body is in like hypothyroid, it's not functioning. Like it's going to compromise the uric acid excretion. But if it's in hyperthyroid, if you're in hyperthyroid, you're going to be having more cell turnover. And in hyperthyroidism, elevated thyroid function leads to like breakdown of tissues. And it's more like catabolic in that sense. And when those cells are being broken down, you're releasing purines. Those purines are again, again, going to get turned into uric acid. So we're seeing both hypo and hyperthyroidism can both be, you know, associated with this uric acid. He also talks about lead levels. So even low amounts of lead levels can also increase your risk of developing uric acid. And also, of course, the most obvious one is the tumor lysis syndrome. If you've ever been treated for cancer, you could develop what's called tumor lysis syndrome. This is when a large number of cells die quickly, usually as a result of like chemotherapy. Among these metabolic derangements is the release of purines, which become metabolized into uric acid. Remember that when, when people who have cancer undergo chemotherapy, they're breaking down a lot of their cells and that those cells, con the cells content have DNA in them. And again, what's part of DNA? The bases, like purines, which again, can, can get converted into uric acid. So we're having this, it's called tumor lysis syndrome. There's other derangements like hyperkalemia and uh, like hypophosphatemia, I think. And again, we're, we have high amounts of uric acid, which can lead to, you know, not only gout, but also other metabolic stuff, like I mentioned.
The last and final thing is this lack of regular movement, aka too much sitting. We all know sitting and lack of exercise is bad for us. In the past few years, researchers have finally begun to study the role exercise plays with plays in uric acid levels. And not surprisingly, they have come across the same like conclusion that too much strenuous exercise can increase cell turnover, but a lack of exercise can also lead to an elevated uric acid level as well. So it's this U-shaped curve. You exercise strenuously like you're a ultra marathoner, you're going to be breaking down a lot of cells and increasing your risk of uric acid. You don't exercise enough and you're increasing your risk of uric acid as well. So there's this happy medium. There was a study done in 2019 in South Korea that found that people who spent 10 or more hours a day sitting were more likely to have hyperuricemia than those who spent fewer than five hours a day being inactive. And this was a study involving 160,000 men and women. The researchers also calculated that the risk of elevated uric acid levels was reduced by 12% in low and moderate intensity physical activity and by as much as 29% in high intensity physical activity. So the, the point is, you don't want to be on too far of the spectrum. You don't want to be an ultra marathoner where you're not only killing your joints and, and probably giving yourself like uh, like a calcium, too much calcium deposition in your heart, but you're also breaking down a lot of cells and causing too much uric acid, but you don't want to be extremely sedentary because that is also raising your risk of uric acid. So this was a quick episode just really describing certain instigators of uric acid. As I mentioned, it's stuff like our diet, our alcohol, xylitol, MSG, tumor lysis syndrome, chronic kidney disease, hyperhypothyroidism, psoriasis. And I also talked about how uric acid can have a correlation with Alzheimer's disease. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. In the next couple episodes, I will be discussing how there's certain things we can do, certain habits to lower uric acid values, like uh, time-restricted eating, certain supplements, stuff like that. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hope you learned something. And I hope you tune in next time for part three of Drop Acid. Thanks for listening.